Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. All right, win by Creighton last night over Georgetown that you heard here on the uh, Zone. And uh, if you have listened to the post-game podcast, uh, that was a pretty easy one to do last night after uh, Creighton blows out Georgetown. We welcome in Matt DeMarinas, our Wednesday friend from White Blue Review. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, guys. How's it going? Good. Hey, before we uh, kind of break down some of the moments of last night, how close do you think, and we're still we're still a good month out, how close do you think the biggest player of the year voting will be and who would be your top three candidates right now? Wow. I think it's going to be really close, first of all. Because I, I don't think there's a... Unless you just start to obey the rules of, you know, those old-fashioned rules of best player, best team, it's really, I think it's really hard to pick who you think has had the biggest impact from an individual standpoint on the season. Like... Mm-hmm. And I feel like the top three right now have to be, for me, it's like Tristan Newton from UConn. I just think he's held that team together throughout the duration of the season. And even when, you know, when uh, Stephon Castle was hurt, when Donovan Klingon was hurt, you know, they just, they just haven't really had much slippage, you know, um, I think he's the front runner for me because of that until further notice. But like, you know, you see Tyler Kolick really coming on strong right now. You see Baylor Sharon in the way he's playing down the stretch. I, you know, I could see either of those guys, mm-hmm. you know, really, really getting over the hump and taking it, you know, taking it um, over this last month here because they're all going to, they're all going head to head now, essentially sure. like, you know, Marquette and UConn are going to play twice after, you know, starting this weekend. Um, in the regular season, and, and UConn or Marquette and Creighton has both of those teams in their own gym coming up here. So, yeah, this is it's, that's the fun part, I guess. Is it's going to be decided kind of on the floor, um, so it, it might make the decision easier for us uh, outside observers. Right now, it feels like it's really close, but I would give Newton the edge based on his body of work right now, in my opinion. Yeah, I think you named the three that I think most people would pick if they're picking a top three right now, too. And speaking of Baylor, look, we know that the triple-double, the the traditional triple-double with the assist element of it is awesome. But this maybe the bigger surprise is we haven't seen him do it earlier. And, and that's not a knock on him. It's just the way his game has been elevated from last year to this year as far as what he, as a good player, as a great player, continues to just kind of stay that course. So when you look at what last night, what he does there, what, what, do, you, what do you take away from that? I mean, is it just a, another thing to kind of add to Baylor's season that has just been fantastic? I mean, it's kind of funny how, like, speechless he sounded throughout that question. Like, that's kind of what it's like watching Baylor, you know? Right. I mean, um, because the funny part about last night was, you know, not only did he – do that with plenty of time to spare. Right. Um, he wasn't really, I don't think he would 
say that that was his best performance. That's the that's the wild part. Like, yeah, had a rough first half. Yeah, like he didn't shoot the ball well, and and I know he, you know, can impact the game in multiple ways. But that doesn't mean he doesn't get frustrated with the when a certain aspect of it isn't up to snuff. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he missed that three at the end of at the end of the first half, which I mean, he didn't really I didn't really have a chance to go in. It was kind of a broken play, and he was just trying to get it up before the before the buzzer, and it wasn't even close. Right. And I mean, I, I'm I was all the way up in the sixth floor hockey press box, and I can hear him scream the f words from all the way up. There. Like, he was, like he was really, really frustrated with himself, you know. Yeah. But I mean, he never let that like. But it, it was momentary frustration, and he never let it bleed into any other facet of his game. And I think that's like the mastery of Baylor Shireman is that he just is one play at a time, impact it however way he can. And no matter if one part of it isn't going well, it's still there's still an accumulation of a positive effect happening out there on the floor. And mm-hmm. um, you know, I think the wild part about last night is that we haven't seen one. You know, in I mean, the last time it happened, I wasn't even alive yeah. <laughs> at all, yeah. and it's never happened in general. Um, and I think that 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 kind of speaks to how special Baylor's been is that we've seen a lot of really talented players a lot of really multifaceted players play in that uniform and none of them have done what he's done. And then you factor in the component of, you know, he was honored last night for being the first men's player to ever do something in the history of the entire game. And now, I mean, that's the third time he's gotten a commemorative ball this year. <laughs> the next time they play at home, he's probably going to get a fourth one. Yeah. So, I, mean, that's, I don't know how much better you can sum up his career. Other right. than the fact that he's had four, moments prior to games where he's been handed a commemorative ball for doing something, achieving a milestone either that, you know, is important for a college basketball player or something that no one's ever done. So, yeah, I mean, it kind of speaks for itself. Hey, what do you think, if you got a a, a bird's-eye view and you could look at team scouting reports in the Big East, what do you think their scouting report says on how to handle Ryan Kalkbrenner offensively and defensively? Well, whatever Georgetown said def- how to handle him defensively last night, it was ridiculous. Um, like they were just hell bent on kind of, I don't know, going right into his strengths, honestly, like going right at him, not really being patient. They just kind of went full speed ahead at him. And that's kind of, that plays into how good he is because he's really good off the floor. He doesn't jump too early or too late. Um, and he's, he's, He's just incredibly long and hard to score over. Like I thought, Georgetown. Even if the, even when the game was tight, those first, I guess, what was it, six, seven minutes or so, mm-hmm. um, I, I thought Georgetown was playing like not intelligent basketball. <laughs> I don't think Ed Cooley mentioned that to a degree in the in the post game. You know, he just didn't think they were very smart off the bounce. Like they every time they stopped their dribble, they basically went up for a shot, which mm-hmm. is like. That's not how you beat Creighton's defense. That's how you. That's how you play into their transition offense. So I don't really know. I think I, I, defensively, I think you would probably want to get him away from the rim and moving kind of, you know, east west more north south. You know, mm-hmm. that's probably the way you do it because you have to be a little bit crafty. You have to keep your dribble alive as much as possible. Um, you have to make passes around him. You can't just go straight at him. Um, and then offensively, I don't know. Like, he, he, you got to stay tagged to him because he's really good at getting over the top of guys. And, you know, he has good touch when he gets the ball. 
you know, in high point situations, kind of like a jump ball in a wide receiver situation, you know. Mm-hmm. But the, the other thing is, like, I think Creighton's guards done a really good job of playing off of his gravity and, and scoring at the rim themselves when teams are, you know, staying too attached to Kalkbrenner. Um, so I don't really know offensively how you defend that because Creighton, if Creighton's guards are finishing and, and you know, attacking the angle shape they should be attacking, that's a tough cover. Defensively, there's ways around it, but Georgetown was not executing that nearly to the level they needed to, so it really got ugly. Um, I think they were 13 of 31 hmm. in inside the paint, essentially, which is insane to be that inefficient inside the paint because that's usually where you want to get, but that's the Ryan Kalkbrenner effect. And Matt, I brought this up after the, the loss to Providence of where Duro had his way in that game, but was also really taking it to Ryan Kalkbrenner. We discussed this, Gary and I did on Monday, maybe the biggest takeaway from what was just a fantastic win, maybe one of the, maybe the best win for Creighton over Xavier and, and winning at the Cintas Center was the way that Kalkbrenner seemed to respond. And so I, I think we've seen teams that have understood that they're going to probably get turned away at the rim, but if they keep kind of trying to body him on the block and trying to get him in some awkward positions, that that's where they're going to have success. I don't know. I, I thought that something about that Providence game, it, it seemed to, and, and last night maybe is a bad test because you're not being challenged as much, but his response against Xavier, I think, was pretty solid. No question about it. I mean, he dominated that Xavier game. Um, you know, I mean, everything started to, everything started to snowball on Xavier as soon as Ryan, as soon as Kaufmaner got involved, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, you know, the Providence game, I think that just kind of speaks to the nature of college basketball is just, you know, sometimes it's just not your night. And sometimes you're going to lose your matchup. Um, and even in within the game, you're going to probably, you know, lose more matchups than you win sometimes. And that's just kind of the way it goes. But I think that's the thing about this Creighton team that probably speaks to its ability to, you know, if you're if you're trying to forecast their chances of making a run, it's kind of their ability to respond to situations you know, within a game or game to game. Yeah. And I mean, I think Baylor Shireman's performance last night is, in, is a good example. Like he didn't shoot the ball well and he made history. Like no one's yeah. going to remember that you shot two for nine for three, no. you know, unless you're just like a true, <laughs> you know, like psychotic historian. Right. But he played well, yeah. like it was, you know, a historic game, but he didn't shoot the ball well. And you're not going to remember that he was frustrated. Yeah. Um, Ryan Kaufman from game to game. You're not going to remember, you know, I mean, I think it's funny because Josh Adora had 32 against Kalkbrenner in the second matchup, right? But, first you know, matchup was he, yeah. Yeah, it was 4 for 17 in the first yeah. matchup. So put the two together, he's 16 for 41 shooting the ball against Creighton. Mm-hmm. The first mm-hmm. that's, that's not that's below big man averages, right, for percentages and efficiency. Yeah. But 32 was so loud that it kind of sticks in your mind that you forget the other one. So I think that's, you know, it just happens sometimes. You lose matchups. Um, you know, you got to make the most of it because it's not always. You don't always have your A game, so you got to kind of figure it out along the way. And I think that's what this team has done a really good job of is figuring figuring things out when they don't have their A game and trying to make it. You know, giving themselves a chance to win um, when matchups are going one way or the other. Hey, we we like Ed Cooley around here. Uh, I think he's always been very respectful of of Creighton, the fans. His teams when at Providence they come in here and they compete. And he, he's just he's one of the good guys in a business where, you know, you don't you don't necessarily run into great 
individuals day after day. But Ed Cooley is one of those A-plus guys, except for the people in Providence, but that's their issue. <laughs> so, you know, him and Mac have been friends forever. They do a lot of stuff together. Um, they, they really, really appreciate how they go about their business. What was your read on this? Because I brought this up at the beginning, Matt, because I thought this was curious. And, and Ed was very complimentary of Creighton last night. He, he's going through it with that team because that team isn't very good right now at 1-12. Right. But he said they played really, really well today, talking about Creighton. You guys got a hell of a coach. I hope you all appreciate him. Mm-hmm. What do you think he meant by that? Yeah, man, that was kind of a – that was an odd way to end that because, you know, you, you're, you're talking to – you know, us in the media room, right? The mm-hmm. press conference room. But I don't think, I don't think anybody in that room is, was where that message was meant, I guess, yep. because I don't think any of us treat Mac unfairly or, um, you know, put unnecessary heat on him. You know, I think we all, I think we all do a fair job to be honest. Like, I think, you know, I don't think that message was meant for anybody in the media um, around here. I think it was meant more for a, the fan base. Um, I mean, not a, the fan base, but part of the fan base that kind of gets on, um, you know, that kind of latches on the losses and thinks the sky is falling. And I don't know. I think it's, uh, I, I think it's tied a little bit to the football mentality of this state. Cause every mm. week is so important that when you lose one game, it lingers forever. Basketball is kind of different, but I think this state kind of ties itself to that kind of energy. And when, you know, when a basketball team loses a game, whether it's Creighton or Nebraska, it feels like the end of the world, even though it's not. And then the other part of it is too, like, you know, it's probably, um, you know, the contract situation last year and um, the kind of the angst around whether that would get worked out and, you know, what things might be like behind the scenes mm-hmm. um, with a new administration coming in, replacing Rass's administration that was there forever and kind of was a staple of Creighton in the community. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know what Cooley's referring to necessarily there, but in, if that's p- the main part of his message, but I think, you know, certain aspects of it are probably some of it's yeah. probably coming from the fact that he was at Providence for a long time and made a decision. And now he's kind of like public enemy number one at a place that he felt like I could see that that's should, he should be revered that's for a, a long point. time. That's and a, that's maybe he point. sees some of that. Maybe he sees some of that coming with Mac a little bit because, you know, we just get used to it for so long that we stop, you know, appreciating what's been built here. Um, so I think it might be some of his situation bleeding into it. And then some of, you know, Max situation with a new regime because Ed Cooley went through the same thing with a new AD and new administration, you know, replacing his old AD as well. So I don't know if he sees some similarities there. and That was what part of his message was, but it definitely was an odd thing to say that in the pressure, mm-hmm. we weren't really expecting that. Hey, uh, on Trey's night last night, you get a very efficient shooter beyond the arc. And, and this goes back to Trey last year when he was over 40% beyond the arc. It's been a little bit more of a struggle just from that aspect. I get it. It's Georgetown, Matt. Is is that a game, though, that all of a sudden, if you start to look at Creighton trying to kind of even take it to that next level, like what if Trey can – I'm not saying he goes six for eight every night, but if he starts getting himself around that 40%, 42% clip, that, that changes things, doesn't it? I think so because it just – I mean, you look at the way Trey's being defended right now. Mm-hmm. 
you know, they're, they're, you know, trying to make him play over the top more because they know how comfortable he is, A, getting to the rim and playmaking once he gets into the defense and getting to his mid-range. Yep. So I think if he becomes a guy who can, but you can't go under screens as much as you normally would, I guess, to stay attached to the roll man and pick and rolls and things like that and, you know, just make him shoot over the top and not facilitate for others by getting downhill. Like, that's big. And I think, you know, while you're right, you know, six for eight is unrealistic for, I mean, anybody to go right, game, right. game to game basis. Like, he's, I think he's hit multiple threes now um, in maybe five of his last six or six of his last seven. I think he missed, I think he had any threes against St. John's or UConn, but since then, I think the only game where he didn't hit a three was Xavier. Um, and his playmaking was, you know, really high level in that game. So, I mean, I think it's a big component to get that three ball back and to make it a consistent threat. You know, if you're knocking down multiple threes a game like he is right now, you have to respect that. And I think that's going to open up parts of his own game. And then with the way he is able to make plays for others, I mean, last night he was, you know, five assists, two turnovers again, I think. Um mm-hmm. And after that was after going six and two against Xavier. So I mean, his playmaking's there, and if he gets the ability to kind of beat defenses over the top again, and he makes them have to respect him in that area, yeah, that opens up a huge part of his game, and it unlocks, you know, even more potential for this offense. Uh, Saturday in Hartford, Marquette or UConn, round one. Who gets it? Ooh. Man, <laughs> you, you good? <laughs> <laughs> going to be such a good game. I can't wait. Oh, man. Because Marquette's a buzzsaw right now. Like, they're, I mean, UConn's been doing its thing, but, man, Marquette has looked really impressive. I think I, I think they'll split their home and homes, you know, I, I, so I'd give the edge to UConn. Although that game being an XL versus Gamble is a big factor, in my opinion. I think that UConn's harder to beat at Gamble. So, um yeah, Marquette's going to have a chance in that one. I think the way they're playing right now and kind of the way they match up with each other, um, wow, I can't wait. Yep. Be, that's what I mean. This last month is going to be humongous mm-hmm. for this league. Like, they're, it, You're going to feel the energy. And I think, you know, if UConn holds serve in that and doesn't doesn't slip up somehow against DePaul and the Valentine's Day Massacre mm-hmm. we're about to see tonight, um, yeah, I mean, think about them coming in Yep. You know, the AP poll doesn't matter at this point in the season right now anyway, but, I mean, just think of the, you know, hype and hysteria around here for the AP number one to walk into CHI, you know, against Creighton. Like, that's going to be that's going to be as big of a game in a regular season that has no stakes truly attached to it from a, you know, a regular season championship standpoint as, as, as I yep. can remember since Villanova walked in here in 2018. So, yeah. Yeah. This last month, the people better get their heart rate um, in order because, yeah, it's going to be some high-level stuff. It will be. Uh, Marquette's won eight in a row. UConn's won 12 in a row. Uh, as always, we appreciate it. Great coverage, uh, and I enjoyed the uh, post-game uh, podcast, and I look forward to what should be a very interesting Saturday in Indianapolis where the sun will be shining hmm. and there will be one half where it will be difficult to shoot. Yeah, morning at Hinkle. Here we go. Yep. Hey, <laughs> thanks, Matt. You bet. Matt DeMarinas from White Blue Review. He got excited about that. Hey, it it it's a it's a great showcase for the <laughs> Big East, and it's you know UConn just keeps moving right along. He's yeah. right there in Chicago tonight, so good luck to Paul. Uh, but you have that game. I mean, look at 
Butler played Marquette last night at Hinkle, mm-hmm. and Marquette well. Marquette survived. Yep. And, and, and is Butler a, an NCAA team? Eh, they got the feel of it. Thad Mott has done a great job. Yep. They play a lot of bully ball, which feeds right into the way games are being called in the Big East. So then you transition from that. Butler has to get ready for Creighton. And then UConn gets the, the high-level matchup with Marquette. And Matt's absolutely right. That game being in Hartford and not in stores is a huge deal. Then they got to come here on a sh- kind of a short turnaround because yeah. that game is on Tuesday. Uh, it's the life in the Big East at the top. Now, there's six teams that I think are fighting that are on the bubble that leads you to the games where Seton Hall or St. John's are playing mm-hmm. or Providence last night, which got a huge win yep. in holding off uh, St. John's. St. John's, man. There was a time that we were thinking, hey, St. John's, and they yeah. are just not winning games anymore. Uh, nope. There's there's teams that, man, there were some bad losses last night. North Carolina had a bad loss. Yep. Do you trust North Carolina? They've lost three of the last five. North Texas Carolina's a- a lot like Kansas. Texas A&M had a bad loss. Yep. I mean, it maybe is kind of beneficial this week that Nebraska can sit on the sidelines and mm-hmm. watch people, but know that the next time Nebraska loses a game, it will be considered, quote-unquote, a bad loss. Yes. All right. That's what they have in front of them. All right. Uh, we will talk a little baseball here, a little Nebraska baseball. Um, different kind of team this year uh, that will begin in Arlington. I don't think they're going to hit 97 home runs this year, no. Nick. No. But I think they will be better suited to be better than 6-6 six and six in the midweek. I did too. Which kept them out of the tournament last year. Yeah. Lance Harvell will join us coming up next. Also, we will have a correspondent from the Kansas City Chiefs Parade coming up in an hour. Hey, hey. Yes, we will. Okay. A, uh, secret. Okay. Uh, and also uh, Brandon Vogel. Uh, stops by. That's all still to come as we roll till 10 on uh, Valentine's Day at 1620 The Zone. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.